Well, I want to start today with something that could be controversial. Right, this is something that um, can be divisive. I know I've experienced it in my life. I know I've seen how it's potentially impacted, no doubt, marriages, families, sometimes groups and organizations. And so this is something that could be a little bit of a lightning rod. Are you ready? Okay, here's the question. Do you put ketchup on your scrambled eggs? <laughs> Hold on, before you answer, before you answer, for those of you here in person, I want an informal poll, so I want you all to close your eyes. If you're joining us online, you can do this in the quietness of your heart, on the couch or in your car. Close your eyes. For those of you who put ketchup on your scrambled eggs, I invite you to slowly raise your hand. All right, so it's like an altar call. I see you. Okay, that's good. Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Thank you very much. Okay, oh, hands up. Good. Hands down. For those of you who do not put ketchup on your scrambled eggs, slowly raise your hand. Okay. You can put your hands down. Only I know the real answer. <laughs> now, for the earliest moments of my life, my earliest memories of my life, I can remember putting ketchup on my scrambled eggs until, until I went on a retreat an elementary school retreat, indeed a youth club retreat with this church. And as I, I was at the old Camp Johnsonburg in the dining hall. Scrambled eggs were being served. Didn't think anything of it. Pulled the bottle of ketchup. Started putting ketchup on my eggs. And out of nowhere came the words, that's disgusting. What are you doing? You're a freak. Like, what's wrong with you? And I remember looking down, looking up, and, and just... In, in a knee-jerk reaction, took the plate, walked up, dumped it in the trash, right? Went and got another plate of scrambled eggs and said, I'll be like everyone else. <laughs> there, there was my first encounter with peer pressure, right? As a little child, right? Just simply putting ketchup on scrambled eggs. It was this moment of, you're different. If you want to fit in, no Heinz on the eggs. I learned that really quickly, and I remember recoiling from it. Uh, you know, there's many times where there's voices in our lives that could call into question all kinds of things. A lot more serious than ketchup on scrambled eggs. Isn't that true? Right? All around us, we have voices, and there's voices and relationships that are seeking to pressure us at points to be someone that we're not or to do things that normally we wouldn't do. And if we're not careful, we could be pushed and pulled by those voices. I know that's experienced in my life. Right, again, a lot more serious than scrambled eggs. Right, for me, I know at points I've struggled with strong voices in my life right, that would say, Jeff, you need to be this type of person or you need to do this or that. And in a way to not have to deal with the conflict or the tension, to give into those voices and then to follow a path that wasn't true to who God has called me to be. And it's only over time where maybe a close family member or friend or someone else that God would raise up to say, Jeff, that's not who you are. You're better than that. And to not give in to the pressure. I think we all experience that to some extent, don't we, in our lives, where there's different pressures from around us, different voices to, that we're supposed to act a certain way or be a certain kind of person. But if we don't have some type of centered core, ultimately found in Christ, a God-given identity, just like the song we just sang, that we are a son or daughter of God. If we don't rely on that identity, we could be tossed back and forth by all of the different voices and expectations around us. We need to come back to Jesus and his love 
and his care for us and come back to our identity found in him. The good news is that God doesn't leave us without instruction or guidance on this specific example. As we go into this uh, next sermon in the sermon series, we started a sermon series called Deeper, called Learning to Relate to God. And today we're going to talk about what it means for us to know ourselves as we know God. Uh, many of the, much of the content from this series is based on uh, Pete Scazzaro, an author and pastor, his book, The Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Book. This book has been so formative to me and my wife, Laurie, in terms of our walk with Christ. So a lot of the content of this sermon is derived from that, and from this, this series is derived from this. And today we can consider how God invites us right, to freedom, freedom that comes from living out of our God-given identity as we learn to relate to him. Let me say that again, that God invites us to freedom, that comes from living out of our God-given identity, not the voices of everyone else, but God's voice to us as we learn to relate to him. Ultimately, we see this with Jesus. Right? Jesus was the freest person who ever lived. I love reading the Gospels. I love reading about Jesus because he's not controlled by anyone. He is true to who he is, and it began at his baptism, right, where he heard these great words, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Right, Jesus had a, a clear sense of identity of who he was as the son of God. Yes, he was perfect as the son of God and he was fully God, but he was also fully human, like you and me. He felt the pulls and people put all kinds of pressure on Jesus. Right, they projected all kinds of things onto him, thinking he should be a certain kind of person, a certain kind of religious leader. They, he, they put all kinds of stuff on him, but Jesus was free and he lived a life of freedom. And I believe the promise of God is that we could have that same level of freedom as we learn to relate to God and have our core centered in him and what he thinks of us, not what everyone else thinks of us. So today I ask you, to what extent do you, as, do you as a follower of Christ believe and know that you are a beloved child of God? That you are loved by him. That you're his child that he looks at you, and like Mike has just prayed, that, he, that you are the apple of God's eye. He loves you. And as a child, his voice is the voice that truly, truly matters. Um, and so today, as we consider this topic, I want to bring us to arguably one of the most, if not the most well-known account in Scripture, right? David and Goliath. And what happened in this time in terms of how David had to deal with all kinds of voices in his life. And as we enter into this narrative, into this story, I'm going to invite you to listen with freshers. If you've grown up in the church and been around the church, no doubt you've heard this a zillion times, even from when you were a child. If, if you're even new to the church or new to Christianity, then you've at least heard of the idea of David and Goliath, right? Underdog and the one who's expected to win. And so even Malcolm Gladwell's book, I mean, whatever it is, David and Goliath are just known throughout our culture. But either way, whether you've heard this story a zillion times or if you've never heard it before, I'm going to invite you to enter into this story. My prayer all week for you has been to enter into it with fresh eyes, that you would see this and experience it and even feel what David went through. And so we're going to pick up this story at a point where God's people, right, the Israelites, are being challenged by their arch enemy, the Philistines. And the Philistines set up, and, and the army of Israel sets up and out from the Philistines comes Goliath, this behemoth of intimidating person. And for 40 days, he steps out and issues a challenge. 
And the challenge is, if anyone wants to fight me and beats me, then all the Philistines will be your servants. But if Goliath said, if I win, then you will all be my servants. And the response by God's people was to recoil in fear. I thought about it this week. If I was a soldier in that Israelite army, thinking, if we lose to this guy, what's going to happen to my wife and daughters? What's going to happen to my friends? What's going to happen to the world as I know it? Everything stood in the balance with this conflict. In the midst of it, a young, a young shepherd boy named David shows up on the scene. His dad, Jesse, sent him to bring some food to his brothers. And David shows up. And, see, and I invite you to listen to this. The, the words are not going to be on the screen today. It's a longer narrative. I invite you to, again, if you're willing to close your eyes, don't fall asleep, close your eyes and listen to this account. And I invite you to put yourself there. Imagine being there. And imagine especially feeling what David felt as we go through this. So this is from 1 Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 26. We read this. David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight for him, and fight him. Saul replied, You are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand 
chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of this Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. But you open your eyes. Hmm. I wish we had all the time in the world to lead a massive small group session to hear, you know, what caught your attention and why. Uh, maybe an image, maybe a moment, uh, maybe a word. I'd love to hear, I'd love to have heard the feelings that you felt, whether of anger or fear or opportunity or just wanting to run away. As we look at this, right, David arrives on the scene. And he arrives to bring food to his brothers and to, and to check out the situation. And right away, he's encountered by a series of strong voices. And we see them coming from all angles. And so I want us to consider those strong voices in, uh, that David encountered and how he responded to them. First, his older brother, right, Eliab. Right, his older brother, almost his oldest brother, as soon as David shows up and starts asking questions, his, older, his oldest brother just gives it to him. Like, get out of here. Like, you wicked, conceited little child. Like, get out of here. Now, as I think about it, the way that Eliab talked about David, again, I'm going to get a little psychological here. I think he was projecting onto David what he was feeling. I think Eliab was probably the one who's a little conceited. Who was, he was the one watching the battle. That's a whole other sermon. But the fact that here Eliab says all these things to David, what does David do? David could have responded with, it's my oldest brother, big bro. Like, you're right. I'm out of here. Back to the sheep. It's not what David does. As Eliab brings all these words of criticism and all these words against David, I love what David does. He simply turns away. Turns away. It's almost like here's his brother talking at him all the time, and David's like, okay, it's fine. Turns away. Because something deep inside of David knew that his brother, his oldest brother, didn't have the final word, and actually the way he was coming at him shouldn't have a word at all. So David turns away from Saul's brother. Next, so then he encounters Saul, King Saul, the anointed king of Israel, right? The spiritual leader of God's people. Here, King Saul says, look, you're just a little boy. And Goliath has been fighting since he was the, really young. Like, you really can't do this, right? King Saul offered his expertise as a warrior himself, and so David, looking at it, this authority figure, thinking, okay, well, King, he could have thought, King Saul knows what he's talking about. He's a warrior. Like, 
he's assessing the situation, he's run the numbers, he's done the analysis, he's done the risk assessment, and the answer is don't go. But David has something more in his core, and it's his relationship with God. And his experiences, personal experiences with God, as he's learned to relate to God. Yes, it was with lions and bears, but David called out the fact that God had saved him from those lions and bears. And if he could save him from lions and bears, big bears, then this Philistine, this, this person who's defying God, the living God, the God who's in charge of all things, he's like, I can go. And then even more, once Saul agrees to let him go, he puts on his armor and a tunic and all these things. And David, who knows his own story, he knows what, it, what it's like to be comfortable in his own skin, is like, this is not for me. And he takes off that armor. So even when Saul agrees, he then tries to put this layer on David. David says, no, I know myself in light of knowing God. And so he takes off that armor and he's ready to fight. So that's the second voice. The third voice is arguably the biggest voice, Goliath. Right, so as David approaches, Goliath sees him. Then we thought his oldest brother was talking trash, and we thought King Saul was. And then you got this behemoth individual. I mean, I can't imagine how scared anyone, I mean, David must have felt in that moment. And here's Goliath making fun of him. What are you, a, what are you, a dog that you're coming at me with sticks? I mean, just, and then he curses him. He calls upon his gods and curses David. And, and if there's a time to run and be like, I've come this far, uh, Someone else can go. That would have been the time for David to exit. But no, David knew God. And in that personal relationship with God, that personal experience of God, and really because of knowing God and God who receives all glory, God who's in charge, and God doesn't share his glory with anyone else, says, who are you to defy God? And he said no, and he went to fight him. It's incredible to think about these strong voices they're all around David. Everything could have had him stop and not proceed. But David went forward. And so as we think about this, um, we think about, um, I, I asked ask the question, what would I have felt? Going through that? Oldest brother? King Saul? Goliath? If I'm honest with you, something inside of me would have come to a place of saying, can I really do this? Can I really do this? And this feeling, I'm almost feeling on my stomach right now of like this nervousness. Same nervousness. I, for some reason, I'm getting an image of the first time I was in a swim meet walking up to the block and, and being like, can I really dive in the water and swim this race? Like that same horrible feeling, but like towards a million. I, can I really do this? Can I really do this? What would you have felt in that moment after all those voices came to you? Well, David was able to withstand the pressure, the pressure of these voices from different, from different sources, right? From family, his old eldest brother, from an authority figure, King Saul, from a bully and the embodiment of evil, Goliath, right? These are strong voices that could have swayed David. These are strong voices that could have turned him away. David practiced, what I'm gonna call David practiced God-awareness and this shaped his self-awareness, right? Because he knew God, and he knew God personally, he learned to relate to God, that he practiced this awareness of God in his life, this God awareness, and therefore he had a legitimate, true self-awareness that was rooted in who he was as a child of God, 
And that strong core allowed him to resist the pressures that came from everywhere else. So what does this mean for us today? Again, I believe God invites us right to this freedom that comes from this God awareness so that we could have a proper self-awareness in light of who God is and who he's called us to be and how he's made us to be a child of God. So ask the question, what are the voices in your life that are difficult for you? Voices in your life that uh, cause you, that, that bring pressure on your life to be someone that you're really not or to do things that you wouldn't normally do. Right? Peer pressure is not just for middle schoolers and high schoolers. That was very difficult in that stage of life. Peer pressure is with us until we die. So what are those voices? For example, where do you find it hard to speak honestly? You think about your relationships. Maybe you hold back a little bit. Maybe too much to, to be completely honest. Maybe it's a spouse, family member, coworker, neighbor, classmate. Where do you find it hard to be honest? Another way to look at this is where, where, where do you find it hard to say no? Where do you find it hard to say no? Another way to look at this is where do you find it hard um, because you're afraid of others? What they're going to think, what they're going to say, how they may comment on social media, what they may say at the neighborhood gathering, what they may say within our church family. Where are you afraid? You know, as you're looking at this Bible passage and and I think about even with David and putting him, he was ready to go and even King Saul said he could go and he put on that armor. David said, I need to take off this armor. This is not who I really am. My question to you also is, what armor are you wearing? Um, That's not your story. It's not who you are. And God's inviting you like David to take that armor off and say, that's not me. God, you've made me in a certain way. You've created me. This is who I am in you. God invites us to consider this all together. And, and what I love about this is the freedom that David felt, the freedom that David lived out led ultimately to a blessing of other people and to God's glory. Right? Because he didn't recoil, because he didn't pull back from his oldest brother or for King Saul or from Goliath, right? Family, authority figures, bullies, and even the embodiment of evil. Because David at the core knew who he was because he knew God and knew God personally. He was able to live in freedom. And in living in freedom, he eventually blessed others and eventually glorified God. And that's the big picture. Right? When we can discover that freedom and actually experience that freedom and live it out, we bless others and we glorify God. And so as we finish, I want to give you one thing to remember, one thing to do. One thing to remember is this, that God invites us to experience the freedom of our God-given identity in light of our relationship with him. Right, this is an invitation from God. One thing to do is to begin or start again assessing how voices shape you and seek a renewed sense of identity as a child of God right, to withstand those pressures. Right, think about your life. What are those voices? And so some questions for reflection, whether over lunch today, throughout the day, or sometime this week, go around this. First question is, what are the voices and pressures that you receive from people around you that seek to mold you into someone you are not. Think about those voices. What are they? Where do they come from? For David, right, he had, it was from family, authority figures. I think about for us, whether it's like a, a supervisor or a boss or a coach, 
or a teacher or someone who's in charge of you, an authority figure, even someone that you should seemingly trust, but sometimes humans are not perfect. They may be trying to sway you in places you shouldn't go. What are those voices and pressures? Second, how can deepening your relationship with God help you withstand the powerful forces and pressures? As you deepen that relationship with God, as you learn to relate to God, how can that help you? When you think about David, David drew upon his experiences, his personal experiences that he had with God. He was aware of God in his life. God had rescued him from bears and lions. God had showed up in the past so that David could then make wise and faithful decisions in the present and trust in God with his future. How can, having a, how can deepening your relationship with God help you then withstand those pressures in the present? and trust him with your future. Number three, how can becoming God-aware help you become more self-aware, and how could that give you more freedom to live out your God-given identity? In many ways, that summarizes everything to this point. So as you think about this, imagine, imagine with me what this could look like in your life. As you think about those different voices, right, for David, right, family, authority figure, a bully or the embodiment of evil, whatever the voices are for you, imagine what could be different instead of being swayed back and forth by the voices and opinions of others, that you were grounded in a deeper relationship with God. So that in light of that, you can withstand those pressures and live out of your God-given identity as a child of God. Imagine what could change, both individually, in your families, in our church, in all the different aspects of our lives. To be like Jesus, the freest person who ever lived, who walked around Everyone wanted to control him. Everyone wanted him to be someone who he, who he wasn't. And he was able to live out of that God-given identity as a child of God, the son of God. And his life, the promise of Christ, is his life is being reproduced in us so we also can withstand that pressure. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty, we look to you for all things. And in light of this, help us. Help us to know you more. Help us to know you personally. Help us to become more God-aware so that we could then legitimately be self-aware. God, as we get to know you more, Lord, may we experience the freedom of knowing that we are your child, a beloved child who doesn't need to look anywhere else for affection, acceptance, or anything. God, it is so hard in this world. It doesn't matter if we're 10 years old, 40 years old, 80 years old, 100 years old, anywhere in between, we feel the pressure. Lord, give us your grace. Help us to learn what it is to relate to you and in doing so, God, that we can withstand that pressure and ultimately bless others and glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.